0: Amen. You may be seated. And if you have a Bible, you can open to the book of Daniel, chapter number four. Um, If you haven't uh, or can't tell, I am not your pastor, Scott. I'm a little bit taller, a little bit blonder, a little bit younger, and a lot of less Ohio. Um, So if that comes as a relief, praise God. If Anybody from Ohio here or have Ohio roots? Arizona, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Hallelujah. There. Um, okay. So we're all on the same ground. It's a little nuts. Let's just say the Ohio things, a little nuts. Scott is on vacation, your pastor in Ohio. And I believe uh, your other pastor, Elder uh, Scott Madsen is in Colorado. So everybody just decided to take a vacation this week. Um, and, and so then they, they called me and said, uh, would you take us through Daniel 4? And you're going, well, who are you? I'm glad you asked. Uh, my name is John Wolfinger. Um, I'm a pastor at a local church plant in Prescott called Lumen We planted coming up on two years ago and rent from a, an old historic church in downtown Prescott. So um, I've known Scott a little bit from before the beginning of, of even that. A, a Google search uh, came, led me to the church next door and I went, wait, missional communities? I have not heard of a church in the Prescott area talking about missional communities and I got all excited and and set up a meeting with him uh, probably close to three years ago, now, after you guys had just started. So um, he's been a friend, and we've had um, a couple times at Taco Bell. Uh, his choice, not mine. Uh, and, and so just just really honored to be here. I'm married to Karen, my lovely wife, um, if you can believe it, coming up on a decade in November. Uh, two boys, four and two, Lincoln and Elliot. Um, and so, again, just, just blessed to be with you this morning. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through all of Daniel chapter four. Uh, it's, I believe, 37 verses, should take anywhere between five and six minutes. I'll teach for what Scott told me, uh, two hours, um, to get through all of these verses, and, and, and then we'll, we'll pray and respond in worship. Um, and, and here's just what came in mind as, as we are singing together. We, we sang, and, and I love the lyric, uh, make us a mer- uh, more aware of your presence. Uh, let us become uh, or experience the glory of your goodness is, is the lyric. Make us more aware of the, the glory of your pres- presence. Presence and, and experience your goodness and, and we desire that, right? Like We want to experience God. We, we want to feel the glory of his presence. We want to experience and, and feel uh, his nearness and goodness in, and here's the good news, friends, is, is that we have that here. Like, like, it's here. He, he's given us his word and, and he's given us one another. And so as we read this, this ancient account and, and look at the word of God together, um, my hope and prayer, and, and I really trust because God said that, that where his word is open and his people gather together, there he is in the very midst of them. So uh, let's read uh, Daniel chapter number 4, verse 1 through 37. I'll pray and see where God, what God has for us this morning. All right? Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking to the people. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its uh, fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From uh, From it, every creature was fed. In the vision I saw, while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the planets of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers and the holy ones declared the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them uh, to anyone that he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because of the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and meaning to your adversaries, the tree you saw which grew large and strong which it, with its top, touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with its beauty, beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king you will be driven away from the people and will live with uh, the wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives to them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built? as the the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. That voice said, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Father in heaven, now as we turn our hearts and attention towards your word, we ask as we've sung that your presence, that your glory, that your goodness would be known here. Lord, we, we come in with different burdens and hurts and questions and sins and doubts and despair and, and celebration and joy and, and thanksgiving. God, we are we are a mix of emotion and experience and, and we ask that you would in those places, minister your word that we might see you more clearly so that we can then, even outside of this place, worship you more fully in all of our lives. So have your way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm coming along uh, part four of, I don't know how many of, of the series that you are going through in Daniel of of walking in the light in the middle of the night. And just to catch us all up a couple weeks ago uh, was the three amigos right Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego the fiery furnace and, and so you've been through this already and, and where that ends in chapter three is, is amazement right to, to see three men being tossed into a fire that's so hot that melts the people that, that put the men in it and to not see them consumed by fire and, and even a fourth appear that's amazing right and so Nebuchadnezzar and the people are all amazed and, and put out a decree. This this God is this God of these guys, we're not so sure about, him, but but he's God. But but it did not bring about faith. It, it ended in amazement, not in faith, not in worship, not in surrender, not in Belief. You even see that in verse 8 of chapter 4, where, where he says he's called Belteshazzar after the name of, of my God. So, so Nebuchadnezzar, even here in chapter 4, is still holding on to his God, to his deity, to, to his idols. Okay? Amazement and faith are very two different things. One pastor said, and and I tweaked it a little bit because I I looked to find the exact quote and couldn't find it, something to the effect of, amazement is a function of the brain where faith is a posture of the heart. So we can be amazed by things and not put our faith in them. If you have had the privilege of of surfing YouTube for just ridiculous videos, you'll, you'll find very quickly that there's a lot of amazing things out there. Have you seen the wingsuit? The guys that are crazy enough to put on like this bat suit. They jump off cliffs and fly through. I- I'm amazed by wingsuits. It looks um, thrilling, fascinating, fun. I'm not putting my faith in a wingsuit. I got a wife and two kids at home. I want to live, not die. So-, so I'm amazed by them, but, but I'm not going to put my faith in them. If you want uh, <laughs> me and my-, my-, my four-year-old and I, uh, just, just YouTube, crocodile eats. And, and now you're a sick man, maybe a little bit, but, but we were fascinated just seeing crocodiles eat all of these things. Amazed, but I'm not gonna go out into the wild to go see that, right? So, so amazement and faith are two very different things. Amazement is a function of the brain, wow, whereas faith is a posture of the heart to where you put yourself there. Y- you believe. You surrender, you worship in that place. The king is amazed, but there's no faith, there's no trust, there's no worship of this God of the Bible. In fact, his, his heart is, is filled with, with pride. And, and the title Scott gave for this week is because God is sovereign, I will live with humility. And what we're going to see through this account is that only when we see that God is king And not just see it with with our brain or go, yeah, I acknowledge there's a creator, he's great and all. But when we place our faith, our trust, our all in him, that is the only way that we will grow in humility. When we see God is sovereign, that produces humility in our lives. So again, acknowledging, amazement, and, and worship are not the same. And as I was looking through this passage, even in my own heart, I was somewhat stirred and and just brought to the awareness of of this can be any one of us coming into this place today. Um, It's very easy to go through the routine of of church gatherings, of of missional community, of this life, and just become numb to worshiping God. Uh, It just becomes kind of a function, a routine, a, a thing that we do that, is in our culture, and so I think the prayer of David that, that he lays out at the end of Psalm 139, Psalm 139 is a great psalm where, where he talks about the grandness of God's knowledge towards his people, his, his thoughts, the intricacy of him knitting us together in our mother's womb, and then at the end of Psalm 139, he says, so, so search my heart, O God, and, and know me, try me, and, and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's my prayer for us is that we wouldn't just come to a place and going, well, you know what? I learned some more about Daniel today, but, but that we would be brought again and anew to a place of worship in our hearts. So running through this narrative, we see God is sovereign. That is, he is ruler, he is supreme, he is, he is Lord. And that's a term that's a little bit lost in us in, in America because we're a democracy, Right. If the president of the United States would say, I am the ruler over all of you, you're going to be like, yeah, impeachment. That's, that's not going to fly. But, but so this idea of sovereign is, is ruler, it's supreme, it's king. It is no one like God. He's sovereign, and that produces humility. So here's, here's a timeline. Uh, it's been about 30 to 40 years since Daniel went on a diet in chapter one, right? Daniel and his friends go, we're going to eat vegetables. And, and all the, the vegetarians in the land go, hey, we can write a book off this. It's called The Daniel Plan and vegetarians and all, all of that. But, but uh, Daniel went on a diet. That, that's 30, 40 years ago. I'm reading through the, the account, you can just kind of get lost. It feels like yesterday, right? Oh, Daniel went on a diet. Then the next day, uh, fiery furnace. And, and then now it's, it's this. But there, there's a bit of a gap there. 30 to 40 years, it's believed, since Daniel went on a diet. 20 plus years since the last dream he interpreted with nebuchadnezzar not going to go there but i think there's a little note on living faithfully in uh the world there but that's another sermon for another time then in verse 4 through 18 we see that nebuchadnezzar receives yet another dream or vision and again the people of the land can't make sense of that dream so daniel is called in now now it's interesting to think about that in that time uh, in, in the ancient Babylonian empire, they were all about, as you see there, I mean, there's a department for magicians, for enchanters, for astrologers, for diviners, 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 four different job categories and multiple people that come to that. Like today in America, we don't, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a magician. You're like, well, maybe, okay, in Vegas, but we know it's not really magic. But I'm, I'm an enchanter. Um. No, you're not. Astrolog- like we don't have these categories, um, but what's interesting is we do have categories for for idolatry in our time and jobs working around. So, so this is a, follow this train of thought. In there, they're fascinated by by dreams, by visions, by by astrology and all that. And so there's jobs around it. What are the idols of our day? Well, I would say consumerism individuality and, and um, possessing all that you can. And you know what? We have a lot of jobs surrounding those things. And in fact, some of you are probably in those industries of, of customer service, of, of sales, of uh, whether that be contracting or, or realty. And, and what's interesting is it's not that God is, is first and foremost, like going to say, I'm just going to wipe it all out. But he's going, no, I'm going to put faithful people in those places to be representatives of me. God placed Daniel there for that time to speak the good news of God being sovereign. And here today, like, like my, my friend Eric, we surf together on, on the board. He he works in spas. If there's any sign that we are a culture that values uh, leisure and self, it's a spa. And he'll sell it. Well, it's for your health. You got a bad back, there's a spa. It'll, it'll help you out. It's good. Yeah, um, and I'm not going to rip on him, but but he's in that place, right? He's He's in that place. Now, are spas inherently evil? No. Do people get spas for idolatrous reasons? Yeah, absolutely. So does that mean Eric should never sell a spa again? No. It means that he's to be a faithful presence there, and so too with you where God has placed you to be a faithful presence. We're in different days. There's still jobs around idols of consumerism, individuality. And, and what's amazing is God breaks through using his people in those places. So in that dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees a big old tree and then it's cut down. Why? Well, the messenger comes in verse 17 of chapter 4 says that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives to them Uh, to anyone he wishes, basically that God is king. This vision is given so that you may see that God is king and ruler. So what God is doing here in this dream is is breaking through with his grace. What did Nebuchadnezzar deserve? I, I mean, you just sense later on in the story his arrogance, his pride. His his self-centeredness, that I am so great. I built this kingdom by the might of my hand and my deeds. And I'm going, God, just kill him now, right? Just wipe him out. This is ridiculous. But God breaks through with grace. And so, too, throughout all of Scripture. If you run through the narrative quickly of Genesis to Revelation, you see creation. God created all things good. Then you see the fall. People have rebelled. Adam and Eve rebelled and so too everybody since then has rebelled against God. You have, I have, we all have. But then there's this story of redemption that is weaved through the whole story of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, and then one day restoration. The whole story is that of grace. And this little story in Daniel chapter four is is a little bit of a reflection of the whole. When he says that you may know God is sovereign, that's the entire story of Scripture. Why did Jesus come? Well, er, er, and why are these things recorded for us in Scripture? John would tell us in John chapter 20, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, why? So that you may believe. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so as God is leading this prideful, arrogant king, Nebuchadnezzar, to go, I'm doing this so you might see. And not just see and know with your brain, but that your heart may be led into a place of faith. So too, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to, to save and redeem and reconcile. Why? So we could go, oh, Jesus was a really good guy. You know Jesus, he's a good teacher. No, that we might know and believe and have life. So Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, tell me. And in verse 19, we have somewhat of kind of Daniel having a rut row kind of moment. So Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream. Daniel goes, This is him. He's going to be chopped down, he's going to be like a wild beast in the field. And I know this king, I saw him throw my friends in a fire. I've seen the, the anger, the, the hostility that this guy has towards anyone whom he opposes. And so, verse 19, then Daniel, he's greatly perplexed. Like, what do I do with this? His thoughts terrified him. You get why, right? These other guys, just, they, they wouldn't worship the idols and they got thrown in the fire. So for Daniel to not just not worship the idols, but say, in my words bro you're going down how's that going to go for him so he's terrified he's saying this is the judgment basically your kingdom's going to be stripped away from you and you're going to be homeless you're going to be like a beast on the field sorry he says it like it is but, but notice and, and this is huge He says all of this, interprets the dream with an invitation. He doesn't just say, King, you stink, you're prideful, and this is what you deserve. But he says, so change, so turn, so trust in God. He says don't go down this path. He gives him an invitation to turn from self and pride and his own kingdom to see and worship God as sovereign. So, so he speaks about the severity of sin, the severity of his pride, but he doesn't just leave it there. Now there's a phrase in Christendom that says, well, let's just call a sin a sin. I agree with it wholeheartedly, but often it comes with the attitude that if somebody's wrong or somebody's living contrary to the gospel, then we're just going to tell them like it is. That's a sin. You're going to go to hell. The end. But Jesus, it says he was full of, of truth that sin is sin, hell is real, forever is a long time. But he's also full of grace and invitation and change. And so I always say that, that there's this kind of spectrum. There's, there's somewhat of the truth people and there's somewhat of the grace people. So how many of you tend to be the truth people? I'm just gonna say it like it is. No holds barred, I'm not gonna hold back. But, but you can do that unlovingly, right? And, and you can ostracize people. I've had that experience with my family, especially early on in faith with, with my brother, just pressing him, pressing him, pressing him away. So some of you lean on on the truth side and need to grow in in grace. Other of you um, won't say anything. You go, well, I'm just going to love, but never speak. And so for those of you that are on that scale, you you need to also tell the truth and, and speak the good news of Jesus. And so Daniel comes with truth and with grace. Verse 27 of Daniel 4, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your Sins. He's speaking to one of, if not the most powerful men in all the world, and he's saying, renounce your sins. Turn away from this by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So, you know what he's calling him to? The word is repentance. And that word, repentance, um, I want us to redeem. It's often in our day and age, and, and maybe in your own heart, re- repentance is is coupled or given a caricature of of a, a street corner preacher, right? The person downtown that's telling everybody on Whiskey Row how terrible of a person they are, how bad their sins are, so they need to repent. So it kind of has this heavy-handed judge throwing down the gavel uh, feeling to it when in fact it's, it's not that at all repentance is, is not a finger pointed out but it's, it's a hand open and in inviting you to come and change repentance is one of the most beautiful words in our, in our dictionary because it's speaking that there's, there's grace extended to sinners to change that forgiveness is offered in Christ. Let's redeem the word repentance in in our own lives. When when God reveals sin, we aren't crushed by it, but He's inviting us to change, inviting us to turn, inviting us to be transformed, to look more like Jesus, to turn away. Think about this, if we think of sin is is that which steals and kills our joy, then repentance is turning away from all of that towards that which would give us joy and life and freedom. That sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Let's redeem the word repentance. Let's extend repentance to others as an invitation to change, to turn from that which would steal joy and life towards the one who gives life and that to the full. You see, repentance isn't just saying, oh, I'm a bad person. It's not just saying, oh, I've done wrong. It is changing and turning. You notice that again in verse 27, the word by, renounce your sins. He doesn't just say, "So, so say you're a sinner. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Repentance has an upward towards God and outwards towards people approach. And we need to see that that repentance, again, is not just negatives. Like, again, caricature of Christianity is you don't do this, you don't do this, and you don't hang out with people that do, right? And, And depending upon your background, that could be filled in with any sorts of things. Uh, for some, that's, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't hang out with girls, you do. Uh, others, it's like, you don't listen to secular music, you don't dance, uh, and and you don't think about, hey, you guys are used to that, I'm not. Um, it's really yeah, it's good. You don't dance, you don't listen to secular music, you don't ever talk to or look at people who, who do the same. So just depending upon the scale of, of your background is where the rules are set, and and again, Christianity is not all about what you don't do. There are omissions things that we don't do. And the Bible's pretty clear on those things, but it's also a lot about what we do. And, and so um, I would say that, that some people paint uh, Christianity and, and lean towards um, the, the imagery that we get in Corinthians of, of putting off and putting on. But, but some people forget the put on part. So, so they say put off the old man with his sins and, and, and do not go back to that, that flesh, those desires that wage war against your soul. Put off the old man. But if you don't also focus on the putting on, you're just kind of there naked and awkward and weird and uncomfortable, Right. And so Paul paints the picture in the New Testament of yes, you put off, you you renounce sin, but you also put on and and live according to a new ethic, a new way of life. And that is in obedience to Christ. And in that, obedience to Christ, that is not not a a joy-sucking life, or I can't do this, this, and the other thing, but it's an invitation into life. What Daniel is doing for Nebuchadnezzar and what God does for us throughout all the scriptures is simply this. He, he says, look at God. Take your eyes off of yourself, off of your circumstances, off of your own situation, off of your pride, and look at God. And then see what you've been invited into. See that God has extended grace. Grace. Nebuchadnezzar would not follow that advice. Verse 28 through 33. It seems like nothing changes. And, and I wonder, you, well, obviously from how this story unfolds, Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe Daniel. And think about it. I wonder what Daniel was doing in this time. He, he says this, this is you, so repent. And then 365 days go by, a year. And Daniel's going, God, uh, really? You told me. And I said, and, and then Pride puffs up in Nebuchadnezzar and judgment comes down. He goes from glory to shame, and it's believed for seven years. Seven years, no showers. Seven years, no haircut. Seven years, no nail trimming. In November, they call it No Shave November, right? Some of you may have participated, males, I hope. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I always joke, I participate in No Shave November until it becomes no kiss November because my facial hair is blonde and spiky and apparently owie, so I asked for about two days um, and then just shave it back, but, but Nebuchadnezzar says he's, he's like a beast. William Blake has a painting of how he imagined uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but just basically goes insane. And it's a sad picture because for some of us, for some of you, maybe you, you live that type of existence uh, spiritually, of, of wandering, of, of wicked, of, of just insanity for an extended period of time. For some of you, you may have friends or family members that, that are in that place, that, that you've invited to say, repent, change, that's not the life God would have. And, and in fact, he invites you into something different and, and you are dealing with the pain of asking God, why why are they there? Why don't they change? Why don't you, God, break through? And so what do we see? Well, in verse 34 through 37, God allows these times so that sanity might be restored through, through worshiping the sovereign king. Look at what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He looks and sees heaven. His, his eyes, it says, are lifted. Then his lips speak forth this almost somewhat of a psalm. It, it, it echoes some of the psalms uh, that we have. And, and also, his life is changed. So, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't find life by simply believing new things. By simply, again, back to the beginning, by acknowledging, oh yeah, God's good, and, and I'm not, and uh, you know, I'm not God, he is. It's not my kingdom, it's his. But but it's his eyes where he sees. That they're up towards heaven, his lips in terms of what he speaks and his life and how he lives. You see, the good news of God being sovereign produces something in all of life, meaning it affects every single area. It doesn't say, so Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses and went to church. Nebuchadnezzar got it all together and went to a missional community. While those things are great and good, that's part of the all-encompassing aspect of life all of his life is affected his eyes his lips and his life in seeing the greatness of God he is able to live in humility so we must ask ourselves today what is the essence of pride and how is pride raised up in our lives as i was reading this week uh, one person put it this way pride is plagiarism it is attempting to grasp grasp for ourselves, the glory that is due another. So, some of you have worked in, in education, and, and plagiarism is basically the big no-no, right? You, you don't steal another's work and claim it as your own. You get in trouble. You're confronted. It's it's a big no. But that's what we do every day when we claim glory for ourselves instead of giving glory. To God, when when we try to build our own kingdom rather than living as representatives of God's kingdom in our life, and pride has affected us all, we are bent inward. We have all launched offensives against the King of the Universe, God. But the true King has come. The true King has has come against all of those false kingdoms and, and his kingdom is going forth. This last week I was watching the old, old version of the Lion Witch in the wardrobe with, with my son and, and there's that part in it where, where Edmund is, is a traitor. He basically sells out uh, for the, the wicked witch, right? Of, of Narnia, and, and so she comes to Aslan, who's somewhat of a picture of Jesus, and says, his life is mine. She uses the language. He's a traitor, and, and so I get him. The, the, as C.S. Lewis puts it, the magic says that I get Edmund. His life is now mine because he's a traitor, and so what does Aslan do? He dies. He dies in the place of that traitor. He dies in the place of that one Edmund who had tried to build a kingdom for himself. And that's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us is he saw our trading. Basically saying, we're going to build our own kingdom. We're going to live for ourselves. Aren't we so great? In a micro way with Nebuchadnezzar looking at everything and saying, I'm pretty great. I'm pretty good. I've worked pretty hard. I've earned it, or we just say I'm going to live for myself and and for myself and forget God. We've all done this, and so Jesus came, and Jesus is still giving this call. Second Peter chapter three verse nine. We've give, we've been given the fact that Jesus has promised that He's returning. We know that He has not yet because we're still in this world and it is broken and affected with sin. But here's why. If you ever wonder, God, why have you not just fixed it all? You read the headlines, right? And and you see the news. And and I frequently ask, God, just why not now? Let's just finish this. You you deal with all the sin, with all that's broken, with all that's wrong, with all that I read day after day after day after day. But it says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, toward us and towards those that don't yet know Jesus. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason Jesus has not returned is because Jesus is still doing work presently. And the amazing thing about this story is that he does his work through his people, through you and through me, through his church, going forth, speaking the good news of this king and his kingdom in the earth. So we have work to do. He's sovereign, and to live in humility means that we follow after this. To not speak the gospel, friends, is an exercise in pride. You know that? Because you're saying, God, you you don't need me. You, you, You can use somebody else. That's, that's pride because God has said, I'm not coming yet because I want people to repent. I want people to know. And I've placed you, like he placed Daniel, there to speak. If you're looking for resources on battling against pride in your own heart, I would recommend to you um, two particular works. They're both by the same title, so it's easy to remember. Humility. Um, One is by C.J. Mahaney, a little bit of a newer book. And then there's an older book that you can get for like a dollar if you have a Kindle um, on Amazon called Humility by Andrew Murray. And Andrew Murray has a couple just really golden nuggets in there. And, And one of them is this, that pride may die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride may die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. And he couples it. And I ask the question, so how, how can pride die? Well, pride dies when we see Jesus. Because when we see Jesus, we realize who he is, great God and King, Savior. And we realize that we are the ones that are in need, that we cannot save ourselves, that, that we are broken and stained and full of sin and shame, but he has is, is come. And so he says that, that Christ's humility is our salvation, Okay, so in Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives us the picture that that though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but Jesus emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we have this, this image that Jesus humbled himself, came to heaven for salvation, right? So his humility is our salvation, but also his salvation is our humility. So when we see Jesus, we are humbled. So how will you respond? Will you see God in your day-to-day life? Will you not leave God in in a school cafeteria slash gym for Sunday mornings, but will you seek and, and offer your life, as Romans 12 says, as a sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable from Monday to Saturday? Will you join me in the fight of, of killing pride and cultivating humility by turning from sin and trusting in God, by living a continual life of repentance and faith, by living with the community of God to say, hey, where, where do you see pride? Where do you see self-seeking, self-serving? Where, where do you see needed change? And when we see Christ, Together in the community, it produces humility. We, we need humility, and he provides that by giving us a clear glimpse. And what's amazing is that there's joy there. There's joy there. So, in Daniel 4, and we'll close with this. Think about Nebuchadnezzar looking back on this account. He spent seven years as a wild animal and went from having this glory to being just struck with shame. And seven years is a really long time. Especially back then, life expectancy was shorter than it is now. I mean, seven years is a long time. So, looking back, how do you think his perspective would be? Do you think it would be one, I I don't ever want to talk about it? Man, that was rough. Man, why did God do that kind of bitterness? God, why couldn't you have just like done what you did to the Apostle Paul and just kind of send a light and that's it? Seven years, really? Here's what he says. So, so the letter starts from the end. Okay, so chapter four, verse two. It is my pleasure, he says. My pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures. You see, when when we're humbled by God, it may be painful in the moment, but when we see it, you're gonna go, thank you, God. And some of you might be in seasons of difficulty, of seasons of, of humbling in different ways, but you know why that is? So that you too may say, it is my pleasure to tell you. Nebuchadnezzar became an evangelist. It is my pleasure to tell you about the goodness that he's seen, the want, signs and wonders of the most high God. So let's set our hearts to see God as sovereign, is above all, that he can do whatever he wants, however he wants, in, in the way that he wants. And we go, God, will we'll follow you, not just with, with our minds or not just with intellectual assent, but with a posture of faith and belief. Let's pray. So Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you that that you, God, are sovereign above all, that you are holy, you are righteous, you are supreme, you are ruler, you are creator, you are sustainer, and, and you are still presently at work, that you are calling all people through your gospel again and anew to repentance and faith. And so God, as we respond in song, we pray that you would make these things so deep within our hearts. Lord, that we would not puff up and and say, look at what I've done, look at how great I am, but we would acknowledge and see and worship you as God and as King over all that we would respond in joy through repentance. We would respond in joy through faith. And we, like Nebuchadnezzar, would become evangelists that say, uh, it is my good pleasure to tell you about the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. God, I pray that you would use the church next door as a catalyst in this community to share and show the good news of Jesus to a world that is lost, to a world that is dead in its trespasses and sins, to a world simply that that needs you. So work these things, we pray, deep into our hearts for your glory alone. Amen.